Lord here today. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. And uh, hallelujah. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Galatians chapter 4. And verse number 26. Hallelujah. Galatians 4 and 26, and then we'll be uh, putting a tab over in Hebrews chapter 12, so just keep that in mind. I'll give you a second to turn there. It will be on the screen. <clears throat> the Bible says in Galatians 4 and 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And then Hebrews 12 and 22. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 22, but you are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The Bible says Jerusalem, which is above. And then it says we've been called to a heavenly Jerusalem, to the general assembly of the church and the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And I want to talk to us for a few moments about the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the church. Let's set our Bibles down and let's pray one more time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the church, oh God. Hallelujah. We are grateful people. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Our text here today, he's talking about Jerusalem, which is above. And it is not in reference to the physical Jerusalem. Why he mentioned and said it's the Jerusalem that is above. It is an allegory of the church below. He is positioning the church in such a way, in, in a way that, that the, the first century church would understand best. That when we talk about the church, we are talking about it like the Jews would talk about Jerusalem. Jerusalem being their epicenter, being the very place of their formation in their eyes and in their doctrine. And he is letting them know that we are part of the Jerusalem that is above, which is free. And he is referring to the church. And Hebrews, again, depending on who you think the writer is, some say it's Paul, others say it's Apollos. I just say it was probably me in a different light. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but he is talking about the fact that we've been called to this heavenly Jerusalem. And then he begins to talk about what that heavenly Jerusalem is. It is the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You're in church here today. Happy Mother's Day to the church. Because at the end of it all, the, the Bible is letting us know that the church, Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of of us all. Then when you talk about church, the doctrine of the church, it's kind of fallen on hard times. For some, the word church prompts memories of hurtful experience. When I talk about church, to some people even that come to the church, uh, they begin to wince and think, Ugh, I don't really want to talk about church. You invite somebody with a card and you say, I'd like for you to come with me to church. And immediately there is a response from some folks that is of pain. And others, their idea of attending church represents a return to an obsolete institution that's built on outdated traditions. They say church is just for old people. Church is just for the archaic. It's out of date and it's out of place in our generation. For others, they would say I don't go to church because it's hypocritical, it's irrelevant, it's shallow, it's boring. And I would mention to most of those folks, you got the wrong view of the church. 
The church is not what many people have made it out to be. And part of the problem is that many Christians are guilty of going to a church building but not representing Jesus Christ in their daily lives and in their daily actions. And what has happened is now people have associated the church with people that are not really representing the church of the Bible. They are representing religion. They are representing uh, they are representing really a religiosity mindset that is absolutely contrary to the biblical concept of the church. I'll get into that in just a moment. Another issue is that most churchgoers do not have a biblical definition of the church. This lack of information has produced many misled definitions of the church. When we talk about the word church, it comes from the word ecclesia in, in Greek, and that means church or assembly. It refers to the assembly. If we talk about ecclesiology, it's the study of the church. The Bible teaches us about the church, both universal. When we talk about universal church, we are not talking about the Catholic church. They have deemed themselves the universal church, but I want to tell you, they are not the universal church. Hallelujah. The church of the Bible is the universal church. And so when you see the word church, it is referring to one of two things. It is referring to the universal church or all believers in Christ. Or it is referring to a local gathering of believers in Christ. The New Testament uses the word ecclesia approximately 114 times. Not all of these are in reference to a religious setting. But most occurrences identify either with the universal or collective church. Uh, often what we would call the church. Or it's referring to local churches, local groups of Christian believers. It is important that the fact of the Bible is the word church is never referring to a building. I want that to sink in. Church in the Bible is never referring to a building. It is always referred to people. So when we talk about the church, we are not talking about what we're in right now. I'll tell you what we're in right now. We are in a storefront. In fact, we're in five storefronts. We got a lot going on. But this is not the church. Look to the person next to you. Maybe the person behind you. Maybe look at the person you don't like. No, I'm kidding. That's the church. And, if, and, and what has happened is people have got a Catholic mindset of the church. And what it has become, it has become stone edifices that are nothing more than statues and bricks that don't move. But the church was never meant to be a building. The church was always meant to be a people. And when people have the wrong theology of the church and the wrong definition of the church, that, that starts to produce what people have the negative views of a church. They say, well, it's hypocritical. I'll tell you why. Because people left it at the building. Oh, hallelujah. In the New Testament, Christians did not just go to church. Now, we use that phrase to understand what we mean in this generation. They did not just go to the church. Christians were the church. And there is a big difference between just going to a building and being the people of God. Because when you just go to a building, you have the right to leave it at the building. But when God calls you to be the church, you have the responsibility, and I have the responsibility to take it everywhere we go. Lift up your hands, and let's thank Him for the church. Oh, come on, let's thank him for the church. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm grateful to be the church. Hallelujah, to be a part of the church. Hallelujah. Now, I will define for this generation, when we say, hey, come to church, uh, we are encouraging people to come to the building. But you know what we're really encouraging people to do? Come be a part of the church. Uh, we don't want you to just show up to the building and then leave and never come back. We want people to join the church, to become part of the ranks of the church. There are some elements in the church if we're going to talk about the doctrine of the church. The Bible talks about church leadership or church government. Now, I don't have time to get into all of this here tonight, but we will, or to this, this afternoon, we will get into this more in depth in the future. But I think that this is important because what we've been talking about recently is the apostles' doctrine. And we've been talking about... Uh, uh, salvation as of recently, and we're going to do that again next Sunday. But I thought this would be so fitting for Mother's Day 
to talk about the church, which ultimately is the mother of us all. Amen. And, and, and much emphasis in, eschatol- or in ecclesiology or the study of the church is placed on the study of church leadership. We see if we could turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and 11. One of the main, God's design for church leadership has started with this. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 11, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And this is why God gave those gifts unto men, the Bible says. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we could keep going on through that verse. It's a powerful portion of Scripture that we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Great stuff. You can read a whole lot in there. Uh, read that when you get home. But one of God's modes was to have the fivefold ministry in the church. And the Bible says this, that he gave gifts unto men. These gifts were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I want to tell you, I thank God for the fivefold ministry. It doesn't take just one individual for those that think, man, it's just going to be one guy who's going to build the church and that's all it is. Uh, that has become a twisted. Again, if we get the leadership or the church government wrong, church itself will not go and, 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 and move properly. Um, let me explain that. If we only have a pastor, then the church is not complete. If we only have teachers the church is not complete. If we only had apostles, the church is not complete. We are not really doing what the Bible says. That's why I've, I've made it a, a special uh, place in the church to always bring in other speakers. Uh, I want the church to always be blessed by different ministries and different offices because there will be times in the church's life where you need to bring in an apostle. You need to bring in uh, uh, someone like my pastor who has gone to an area that had nothing and dug out a revival church. And they come in and there's an element that's brought through the preaching of the word of God that, that, that cannot come through any other avenue. I also believe, I evangelized three and a half years, I believe in bringing in evangelists because evangelists, uh, they, they just have a way of reaching uh, into another level and another dimension for us. I believe in, in, the, in the office of prophets. I do believe God still has prophets in his church today that can come. I've seen it happen, and we've had that happen around here, where someone will come, and they might be preaching at one moment, but before it's all said and done, they're going to speak a word over somebody's life and absolutely change them. The church is not complete without that. And then also, we've got to have pastors. We'll have pastors come through the church, but also we've got to have teaching. Well, I don't like teaching. Well, okay, great. But if we don't have teaching, the church will go off into left field, and we won't know why we believe what we believe. Hallelujah. So that has got to be in place in the church for us to be a biblical church. We've got to be a fivefold ministry church. We also see in the Bible, I don't have time to go into this here today, we see bishops and deacons and elders all of these people, there are qualifications that go on to that. All of them must be of a good report. Somebody answer the Lord real quick. Hallelujah. He's calling you. He called me, and I told him, sorry, you got the wrong number, but he called back. Hallelujah. All of these have got to be of a good report. Let me just stop right here. On Wednesday, we're going to be talking about excellence in leadership, so make sure you're here. It's going to be a wonderful time. Uh, we're going we're gonna to make sure we set a biblical definition for what a leader is and what a leader is not. Um, because many people say, well, I'm a leader, or I'm an elder, or I'm a bishop, or I'm a this. Uh, and yet they don't align to the Bible. They've got the wrong definition of leadership. They've got the wrong definition of being a bishop or an elder. Let me just say this. None of those titles in the church are automatically given. Hallelujah. In fact, if you read your Bible and study it long enough, Paul told a young man named Timothy and a young man named Titus, he said, you go and ordain elders. And so some would say, well, I'm an elder. Well, what do, what do the young men think of you? Do they respect you? Uh, what does the next generation think of you? If they don't respect you, you're not an elder. You might be older, and there is respect given there, but there is a big difference according to the Bible. There's got to be a generation that looks forward and says, you know what, that person's of a good report. That person's got faith. That person's a leader. That and they look and they say, I want to be just like elder so-and-so. Hallelujah. 
So we see that there is church government and church leaderships in a biblical church model. In other words, if you don't have church leadership and church government, then this whole thing will go haywire. You've got to have church leadership and you've got to have church government. Everybody said amen. amen. 1 Peter 2 and 9. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 2 and 9. We're going to talk about church members because you can't have all chiefs and no Indians. Hallelujah. You can't have everybody. I know of churches that are like that. They're, they're unbalanced. All leaders. Everybody's a leader. And nobody's in the church. <laughs> everybody's got a title and a position, but nobody's there being a saint and doing the work of a saint. Because let me tell you, there is a calling of being a saint. Uh, and then there's also people that they got all saints and no leaders. And the pastor does all the work. That's unbalanced. Hallelujah. You've got to have a good mixture of everything. And if we're going to build God's church, we're going to do it according to the Bible. Hallelujah. The Bible says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Since the Bible teaches the importance of every person in Christ and the priesthood of every believer, when we talk about the church, we've got to understand what the Bible is teaching about the role of church members and church membership. Now, we've been talking about doctrines. We've been talking about salvation. Let me just help somebody out here. Well, I want to be a part of the church. You don't shake a hand to get part of the church. You don't sign a card. You don't, you don't come up and greet the congregation. This isn't a high-five your neighbor. You're now part of the church. Accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're going to be a part of the church, you've got to be born into the church. Oh, hallelujah. Well, what if you're like me? You were born and raised in a drug home. Well, I, I wasn't born to a family that believed in God. Let me tell you about the beautiful power of being born again. When you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, that's how you join the church. When you're born of water and of spirit, when you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, it's at that moment you join the church. It's at that moment you go and talk about what Peter is. You become a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. How do we know that? Because if you continue in, he says, at one time you were not a people. But when you get born again, it doesn't matter what your previous person said about you. It doesn't matter if you were a drug addict. It doesn't matter if you were an alcoholic. The minute you're born again, guess what? God says you're a royal priesthood. You are called into his service. Well, I just want to get baptized and sit on a pew until Jesus comes back. You've got the wrong theology of the church. Because God didn't call anybody out of sin to put them on a chair. Let me say that again. God didn't call anybody off a bar stool to put them on a church pew so they could sit there, rot, and die and never do anything for God. No, God called them out of the world. Why? That they should show forth the praises of him. Hallelujah. And so we got to have the right understanding of there is church leadership, but that doesn't mean that somebody in church leadership is greater than somebody who's a church member. And I don't have time to talk about all of this, but the Bible talks about that there's different ministries in the church. There's the ministry of helps, and, and we'll preach about that here in a little while as we continue on in our To Be Continued series. But, but there is a whole lot said there. There is a specific calling to every church member, and we're going to get into that here in just a moment. don't want to get ahead of myself. But So there is church leadership when we talk about the doctrine of the church. And then we talk about church membership when we talk about the doctrine of the church. But then there's also a purpose of the church, whether you're a leader, whether you're, you're a part of the fivefold ministry, or whether you are a member of the church. Everybody's got a very similar purpose, Acts 2 and 42. The New Testament mentions many roles of the church, some of which are exemplified perfectly uh, as we see in the first century church, Acts 2 and 42. This is actually our teaching theme for the year. Uh, it's called To Be Continued, and that's what we're doing. And we might make it this year. We might continue on next year. We, we might continue till Jesus comes. We'll see what happens. But the Bible says, and they continued steadfastly 
And we talked about this when we opened up this subject, the apostle doctrine, breaking a fellowship, breaking bread, prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all, and all that believed were together and had all things common and, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as, so, as, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, to the building? No. To the people daily such as should be saved. So when the church gets involved in what we need to continue in, apostle doctrine, those that compromise in the message, they don't grow daily. Amen. Fellowship, we've got to be in proper fellowship because it's, it's a conjunction being made there, the apostle's doctrine and their fellowship. We've got to be in the right kind of fellowship. In breaking of bread, let me tell you about food, hallelujah. We've got to be eating people. Apostolic people love a good meal. If you don't love Applebee's, you're not apostolic, but... You've got to be breaking bread, but it's not all just eating together at a barbecue. No, we've got to be people that are praying. Hallelujah. The church has got to be a praying people. Amen. Then it says that, 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 that they did many wonders and signs. Let me just tell somebody here for a moment. The church has still got signs and wonders. Well, church is boring. You, you hear many people talk about the church and they go, ah, church is boring. I used to think it was a dude with a backwards collar. Uh, that it, I thought it was just that boring old dude singing, you know, humming all day. I didn't know what church was. I didn't realize church could be this powerful. I didn't realize that people could get up out of wheelchairs. I didn't realize blinded eyes could be open. If you haven't seen it, you're about to. I didn't know stage four cancer could be healed. I've been there, done that, seen that. I want to tell you, there's still signs and wonders in the church. And who was doing it? help somebody. We're going to get into that in a moment. But there is a lot of things the church was doing. They were praising God. It's a praising church. We love worshiping. We love praising God. They went house to house. Yeah, they were going back and forth. What were they going house to house for? They were making converts. You know how we're going to have a daily revival when people go house to house? We're going to have a, hey, when we wait until Sunday, guess what? Our revival is going to be on Sunday. But when somebody realizes, hey, I can have revival on Monday too and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and they take it upon themselves, I'm not waiting on the pastor. I'm not waiting on the evangelist. I'm going to be the church. It's at that moment that they're able to have a daily revival. But it also says that they went to the temple because there is a gathering together of ourselves that we have to do as the church. We got a lot we could talk about there, uh, but ultimately all of those things added up that God added to the church daily such as should be saved. When the church has a revelation about what the church is, that it's a people and not a place, we start enacting and start doing what the church has been called to do, and God adds to his church. Hallelujah. A wrong definition or concept or theology of the church will cause people to become disgruntled or disinterested with the church. When they think that the church is a place that they just come to receive, get their little blessing, go home, and they don't change, they're going to become a little bit disinterested because, you know, eventually they get everything they need and they don't need anything more and they just they don't want to be there anymore. Or if they think of the church as a place in which they can come and they just get, but they never come to give, they never come to serve, they never come to be become so they can leave this building and go out into the streets and enact what we've been teaching and enact what we've been preaching. I want to tell you, that's what leads to a lot of bitter saints. That's what leads to a lot of disinterested and disgruntled people. God's calling again somebody. Hallelujah. If that's somebody's phone, go ahead and throw it against the wall and praise him. Hallelujah. Must be one of our Sunday school teachers getting a call of God. Trying to get them out of the Sunday school. Hallelujah. Amen. But if, if we have the wrong theology of the church, if we think it's a place and not a people, it will mess everything up. Because then we can leave it at the building. If the church is, if the church is just a place, then you can leave your Christianity at the door every Sunday, every Wednesday. But because we realize the proper theology of the church that it is a people and that we are that it, that it is a lifestyle 
and we are to be the church everywhere and at all times. It cannot stay in the building. If we make the church a location, then guess what? It will always stay in the four walls. But if we realize the church is a people, it always goes out of these four walls. You know why? Because nobody lives at this building. Everybody goes out. You're going to meet somebody at Walmart, and there's going to be something that hits you, and you're going to start talking to that person. Well, I'm going through this. Great. Let me tell you about a God that can heal you. Uh, Brother Jonathan and I, after he got done preaching, we went over uh, to Applebee's, met a lady by the name of Josie. She's got a young daughter, and she doesn't know what to do. She's depressed. She's got all sorts of things. She just got off drugs, and we begin to talk with her. You know why? Because the church is not a building. The church is a people. Amen. And as soon as we get that revelation and let that sink in, Applebee's becomes your ministry field. Walmart becomes your mission field. And it goes beyond these four walls. And, and let me help somebody just for a moment. If we have the right view, we will take it out. When we come to the building, though, because the Bible talks about they went to the temple. We don't forsake. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's still biblical to come together, or we would just dismiss everybody, go home, and we'll just go be the church. I know people like that. They say, we're just going to have home church. That's crazy because they don't, they don't, they're, they're unbalanced. I, I know a guy that thought, well, I don't need to go to the building anymore. I'm gonna, I can do fine on my own. I'll pray by myself. Uh, but that's not God's model. We come together. You know why? Because in that, we've got teaching. We've got preaching. We've got ministering one to another. And the reason we do that is not so we can huck a buck on Sunday. If it's just so we can throw our ties and bobby pins around, amen, we've got the wrong theology of the church. Amen, there might be a time where we got to shout because the Bible says they praise God and we just got to get the victory and we do all those things. They're right, they're in order, but I'll tell you the reason we do that when we come together, it is to empower every individual to then take that ministry that they felt out into the streets. Somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody, thank God you aren't just in the church, but you are the church. Why don't you worship him for the fact that you are the church? You, you're not just going to a building, but you're a people of God. Hallelujah. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. We're going to be reading quite a few verses here. But the Bible has a view of the church. And this, this, this biblical view or doctrine of the church is very important. The church is represented as the body of Christ. The Bible says, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, We've been all made to drink in one spirit. Again, how do you join the church? How do you get part of the body? Well, we're going to get in this a few verses, but it, you have to be baptized of the water and of the spirit to be part of the church. There's no other way. Except a man's born again. He can't enter. He can't see the kingdom of God. And so to join the body, to join the church, you've got to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, and you've got to be baptized in water in Jesus' name. The Bible says, for the body is not one member, but many. The person that says, I don't need to come to church, I don't need anybody else, let me just tell you, you are not in this alone. And the person that says, well, I can do it by myself, you're either crazy or egotistical, I don't know which, maybe both. But God never designed this to be a, 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 a let me put it this way, God never wanted us to be monks, right? God, God never called us to be monks in the mountains of the Himalayas. And just humming all day. No. God has put us together with people that are different than us. Because God uses the person next to you to refine you. Hallelujah. Ain't nothing like the neighbor to refine you. You know, Jesus could have never gone to the cross without a Judas. Because you can't crucify yourself. But sometimes it's the person next to you just does, does the finishing touch. Hallelujah. <laughs> to make you what God is calling you to be. For the body is not one member. Everybody say, not one member, but many. The Bible says, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Let me talk to those, man, I'm a prophet. I don't need nobody else. You're a prophet liar. You are not, you're not even thinking according to the biblical model. 
Well, because I can point out everybody's problems and faults. I'm not part of the body because I'm better than everybody else. That mentality is wrong. You are still part of the body. It is therefore not, is it, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Oh, I hear from God. He tells me what color socks to wear. I don't need anybody else. And yet your brother who happens to be eye says, man, you ain't living right. <laughs> yeah. I don't need the body. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Well, I hear from God about everything. Well, help the rest of us out that don't hear about everything. Why don't you bring that ear into the church? <laughs> Amen. And not the eye, am I, is it not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If everybody was seers, everybody saw visions, we probably wouldn't go anywhere. Because everybody would be too busy looking and gawking. Remember, there was 500 at the, at the ascension of Jesus. And the angel had to come down and say, why stand you here gazing? We, hey, we got too many gazers in the church who can only see visions, but they never do anything. The church will not move forward. In fact, they'd have never got the Holy Ghost if it was a bunch of eyes. You do need the eye, but you got to have something that says, you know what, we need to go pray. <laughs> you need to have somebody that says, let's go to the upper room. It's funny how only, how, how only 120 made it to the upper room. Everybody wanted to see Jesus going to heaven, but uh, not everybody wanted to join him there. Hallelujah. Another message for another time. If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? There's always somebody in the church that that person is just a filthy spirited individual. And they, got, they, they just know they can sniff them out from a mile away. But you know what? We do need that kind of, those kind of people too. Hallelujah. But now God, God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. Oh, I hate that person. Well, you fight against God because God put them there. I don't like that person. Welcome to the club. There might be a lot of people that don't like that person. But God saw it fit to put that person in the body. And who are you and I to kick them out? Hallelujah. God set them there as it pleased him. And if all were one member, where would be the rest of the body? I know of churches that all they are is us four and no more. And then his pastor, you know, eventually the guy looks at his wife and says, I don't even think you're saved. <laughs> because they just have this critical eye. And they, they don't think anybody else can be a part of the church but them and only their personality. And only, listen, I tell you, it's hard to work with different personalities. But as the church, that is the beauty. That's why the Bible talks about how beautiful and how pleasant, how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'll tell you why. Because brothers aren't always the same. And they think different. They've got different mentalities. They have different goals. But yet they dwell together in unity because they've got a greater goal and a greater purpose. And we be brethren. Hallelujah. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor against the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more than those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. There's, he's using a representation of Christ as our body. There's parts of the body, uh, man, I don't really need my pinky. Well, you don't realize most of your grip strength is in your pinky. We have a, we have a young man from my father-in-law's church that had to get his pinky cut off. And you shake his, his, his hand that has one. It's a weak grip. Well, we don't really need that individual. You'd be shocked that the people that feel like they have the least significance in the church actually are the most significant. There are things in the body that if we were to get rid of, I promise every person in this building would die. Hallelujah. Well, that, that part of the body, I don't like that part, or I don't, I don't agree with that part. Well, 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 it doesn't matter what you like or what you agree with. God's put them there perfectly to make the body run efficiently. Everybody said amen. So, nay, much more those members which are the body which seem feeble, they are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts, and I don't have time to get into all this. We could talk about it more. Have more abundant comeliness. There are some parts of the body that are not pretty, but I promise you, you need them. And there's some people in the church that may not always be pretty. You may not think I'm pretty, but you need me. Hallelujah. For our comely parts have no need. So everybody likes a pretty face. But that pretty face, you could be an ugly face and be just fine. 
But there's certain parts of the body, if you don't have a spleen, if you don't have kidneys, if you don't have, uh, if you don't have any of these, you don't have intestines, you don't have a heart, you don't have lungs. I've been to churches that don't have hearts, hallelujah. I've been to churches that don't got lungs, they can't praise God. I've been to a lot of places where they don't have the body in order, and there is no life there. But look at this. God has tempered the body together. Tempered like with heat. As if he set us in a furnace and then he put us together like a glass blower would. Having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked, that there should be no schism, disconnection in the body. God has glued us together, if you will, formally and fitted us together. Why? Because he doesn't want any disconnection in the body. What are we talking about today? The doctrine of the church. Well, I don't like that person. Don't let there become a schism between you and your brother or you or your sister. Amen. Because if there's a schism or there's a break, you know what the Bible says about Jesus as a prophecy that not a bone of him should be broken. In other words, God was saying, when I build my church, there will be no disconnection. You can beat me, you can bruise me, you can cut me, you can pierce me, you can put nails through my hands and through my feet, but my feet, but do not break my bones because it's going to be a representation of my church. And if even on the cross, after being whipped, beaten, bludgeoned, all those things, there was no disconnection of his bones, there was no breaking of his bones, what do you think the church should do? Well, I don't like that person. Jesus said, forgive him anyways. Because I, I think forgiveness is more important than there being a schism in the body. I think loving your brother or your sister is more important than allowing there to be a disconnection in the body. Hallelujah. But let's continue on. So there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care one for another. Well, I don't see their purpose. You may not see their purpose yet, but there might come a day where we really need them. So don't kick them out of the church. Don't run them out of the church. Don't offend them out of the church because you need to have the same care for them as you'd have for yourself. Anybody just love the Bible? It's convicting. I'm telling you, it's convicting. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. For those that would say, serves them right. Oh, we're getting to real Christianity today. How many likes it? Hallelujah. I'm not talking about just feel good, shout it out. I'm talking about the real kind that says, my brother's hurting, my sister's hurting, and I feel that pain. I'm not so quick to cut into them and kick them while they're down and throw salt in the wounds. No. I'm looking, man, if they're suffering, I'm suffering. Or if one member be honored, oh, let me help somebody out here, everybody else rejoices with them. Oh, I know some people that can weep with those that weep. Oh, brother, I know you're going through it. Sis, you're going through it. I can help you. Let's pray about it. And the minute God answers their prayer and God blesses them, they're in the back with their arms folded because they're tired of the fact that God answered their prayers but not. If people won't shout with you, don't let them pray with you. If they're only there when you're down and out, they're not a real friend. You need somebody that's also going to say, I thank God that they blessed you. You deserved it. You've been working for it. You've been praying for it. I rejoice with you. Well, they got a new car. Did you see that car they're driving? They don't deserve that. You're not being right. You need to make sure you say, God, if you did it for them, you can do it for me too. I came to teach, but I'm preaching right now. If you can't rejoice with your brother or sister, you got the wrong mentality of the church because the church suffers together and the church rejoices together. The church prays together, but the church praises together. This is a combined effort and there is no disconnection in it. Now you are in the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing helps. I want to thank God for every help in the church. We're going to preach about that one day. I'll tell you, that is the most underrated portion of the church is help. <laughs> help wanted, hallelujah. Governments and diversities of tongues. He goes and starts talking about, again, church government, which we've already, we've already kind of talked about that. But God has put them in the church, and everybody's a member in particular. Somebody say, I got a job. 
I got a purpose. Well, I don't feel like I got a purpose. You do. Yeah, you do. Okay, so when we talk about the doctrine of the church, the church is a representation of the body of Christ. And so the next time you get mad at your brother, I want you to think about your own body. Would you cut your finger off because you got mad at it? No, because you know you need it. Don't cut your brother or sister off because you might need them. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 11 and 2. We're going to get moving because I don't want to take up too much time. The church is also a representation of the bride of Christ. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Please, 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 if I tell you the truth, if I preach to you the truth, do not get mad at me. Because I am not the one that is going to present Jesus, this beat up bride. Well, you know, I just thought it looked better this way. I thought the bride would look better, you know, if we all had mutton chops and fog machines. Please, please forgive me. If I have to tell you the truth, I don't mean it in, in, in any way to hurt somebody's feelings, but I have a responsibility as the pastor to make sure I get you to Jesus Christ right. I'll be honest with you, I'd, I'd have had a few questions with my father-in-law if my wife would have shown up with a few black eyes. Hey, what's going on, man? Yeah, yeah, right before she got married, I cut her hair off. Oh, uh, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right before she got married, I broke her legs. Wait, hold on. And in the church, it's the same way. We got to get to Jesus right without spot or blemish, without wrinkle. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 5 and 27. In other words, don't go, don't go to hell for domestic violence on the church. <laughs> Hallelujah. Husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's rough sometimes, right? That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that should be that it should be holy and without blemish. What kind of church are you trying to build? Well, I'm just trying to build a church in my image. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you ain't building God's church. Well, I don't like how the church does this, 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 this. There's a lot of people got nothing but criticism, but they have no constructive criticism. Well, you know what? This is what's going to help us be a better bride. This is what the Bible said. No, they're like, man, I wish we could do more of that. Well, okay, we might get to more of that, but is that going to affect our ability to remain without spot, without wrinkle? Is that going to allow us to be a better bride to our God? And when we look at it from that standpoint, some people say, well, the church is nothing but rules and regulations. Well, okay, if you think about it from the standpoint of God being your judge and your taskmaster, yeah. But when you think of your, your God being your spouse, uh, I, I actually willingly said, uh, I'll, have no other, I'll have no other wives. Right, sisterhood, I did say that, okay? She also said she wouldn't, she wouldn't steal my food, but she hadn't lived up to that yet. So, um, Oh, you're a taskmaster, sisterhood. I can't go have a bunch of girlfriends? Whoa, there's so many rules and regulations in marriage. Oh, you mean I can't just disappear for a month? So judgmental and critical in that church. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just can't walk around however I want, with whoever I want. So critical. People will say that about the church, but they'll never say that about their spouse. You know why? Because there's a lot more love for their spouse than there is for God. Hallelujah. But when we look at God as being our spouse, this is not a judgmental thing. This is not a rules and regulations. I do this because I love him. I do this because I'm happy. And if you got the wrong attitude, you might want to go back through your engagement with Jesus. You might want to go back through your agreements with Jesus. You might want to go back through your marriage agreement and say, Lord, I agreed to this, that, and the other. I was excited when I first got saved. And you know what? I want to be more excited now than I ever was. Somebody lift up your hands and praise him. Hallelujah. Oh, let's praise him for just a moment. That's what Revelation is saying, return to your first love. When you go back to love, nothing's a rule, nothing's a regulation. It's done because I love God. 
we'll finish the verses real quick. Revelations 19 and, and 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife, look at this, his wife has made herself ready. Well, I'm going to sit back and let the pastor do the work. The wife, the bride, the church has made themselves ready. We got to search out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We got to be people that every day are looking to make ourselves ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. She made herself ready, and God said, I'm going to clothe you in righteousness. Well, I wasn't righteous when you found me. That's all right. The blood of Jesus will make you righteous. I'll clothe you in it because you made yourself ready. Revelations 22 and 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let them take of the water of life freely. The bride says come. The spirit says come. He that heareth says come. And and the, the water that, that to the person that's a thirst, it's crying out come. Let me tell you, if something other than the word come to God is in your vocabulary, you are not listening to God. You're not listening to God's bride. I'm going to tell you because the spirit of God, his bride, the church, amen, the waters of life, you know what they're saying to this world? Come on. Come on. Well, they're on drugs. We don't want them part of our church. You're not right. That ain't this church. We want everybody. Come. Come. Well, they're too filthy. Come on. Well, they, you don't know what they did. Come on. Well, you know the lifestyle they used to live. I don't care. Come on. The bride says come. Because the church, its only message is come. Everybody. Everybody come. Well, you, you should have known where they were. It doesn't matter. Because God will clothe them in righteousness. So, Church is the bride. The church is the body. The church is the family of Christ. Ephesians four and or three and fourteen. I talk about the church. I get ready to teach. I'm about ready to preach. Hallelujah! I'll save that for in a minute. For this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We are the family of God. Galatians three and twenty six. For you are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. How? For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Well, I want to join the family of God. We got water in this tank back here. We will baptize you in Jesus' name. You could be part of the family. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. So the church is the bride. The church is the body. The church is the family. In other words, don't kick your brother out of the church. Don't kick your sister out of the church. Your family. We be brethren. Let's look at this. The church is the temple of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Know you not that you are the temple of God and, this, and, and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? When you recognize that I am the temple of the Holy Ghost, you go back to your Old Testament. For those that say the Old Testament is no longer valid, go ahead and read the types and shadows in that. There are certain things were not allowed in the temple. And what he's saying right here is what agreement has the temple of God with idols? If we're the temple, what, do we, what agreement do we have with idols in our life? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God, and they shall be my people. If the church is a building only, and it doesn't become a person or people, then we can live however we want outside of the building. But when we recognize that my body, my life, is the very temple of the Holy Ghost, I, I, can't, I can't just live however I want, because I have got to please my God. Let's stand all across the building, lift up our hands. Hallelujah. Talking about the doctrine of the church. The doctrine of the church. Lift up your hands and let's pray. Oh, come on, let's worship him. Let's praise him. Is anybody glad to be part of the church? There's nothing like being part of the church. I thank you, Lord, that 17 years ago you pulled me out of the streets, and God, you put me in the church. I'm so grateful, Lord. Didn't matter my background, didn't matter my heritage, didn't matter my bloodline. You put me in the church, and it is the greatest thing. But Jerusalem, which is above the church, is the mother of us all. I don't think there's anybody here that would, well, maybe there is, that would cuss their mother out, that would scream and yell at their mother and beat their mother. 
Let's not do that with God's church either. Let's, let's think of this, of the standpoint on a Mother's Day. When I was nothing, my mother birthed me. When I was not thought of, when I was not even supposed to come into this world, didn't deserve it, my mother birthed me. And that's exactly what the church has done for every individual in this building. Well, I deserve it. My dad was a preacher. Oh, I deserve it because this happened to me. Oh, I'm 50,000 generation Pentecost. I deserve it. No, you don't. You don't deserve it, and neither does the kid from the streets. But you know what? The church birthed us anyways. Paul said, I travail. Come on, that Christ might be formed in you so there can be a birthing of Christ in his church. One more time, lift up your hands and worship him. I want somebody to just begin to be thankful and say, Lord, thank you that you put me in your church. Thank you, Lord, that you birthed me in the church. I, I know that I could be so many other places. I could be on a bar stool, but I'm grateful that I get to be part of the church. Come on, somebody pray. Somebody worship him. Come on. I know you might have been saved for 40 years, but are you still grateful to be part of the church? I, I know your parents might have raised you in church, but are you glad to be part of the church? I, I know you might have been like me and walked to church and, and crawled your way to church, but are you glad to be in the church? Oh, somebody worship God. Somebody worship God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't ever want to lose my thankfulness. I know I'm the pastor, but I wasn't always the pastor. Man, I came stumbling into church, thought I was going to fry. There was nothing on this earth that would give me the right to be in church. But I'm here, and so are you. Don't ever lose that gratefulness, folks. We got a few moments. If you need to get a drink of water, go ahead and get a drink of water. But we're going to have a time of prayer, and then we're going to go into worship, and then we're going to have uh, Holy Ghost Church in Jesus' name. Let's, let's have a time of prayer.